Hello friends, thank you for joining us and making us a part of your Lenten experience. Over the course of the next few weeks, we will be examining Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb offered as a sacrifice for our redemption. We invite you to join us this season through our Lenten study journal and in our Wednesday and Sunday gatherings. You can find more information on our website at ccgf.org. Here is the message from this past Wednesday. Grace and peace to you. Pastor John and I were really encouraged to see such a great crowd. We have such a wonderful church family. We're so glad that you're with us as we begin this Lenten season with this Ash Wednesday service of worship. Uh, many of you have already received your Life of Christ the Lamb uh, Lenten study journal. And again, as Pastor John mentioned, you can pick one up tonight. These are free of charge to you. This is our resource to give you, to guide you through this Lenten season. Just to, to remind you, if you haven't opened this up yet, um, there's a place here under March 2nd. This is our first day of Lent, and there's a place to take some notes. So you can whip out your pen, and you can open up that book, and you can write down some questions and some thoughts you have as God speaks tonight through this service. We encourage you to do that. Not only that, tomorrow you can pick up with the very first devotional, and then the preceding days, the, the following days rather, you will also find uh, devotionals and questions for reflection. Bring this thing with you. I saw some of you tonight carrying it in with you. Add a boy, add a girl. That's the way we do it. Come prepared. Bring this with you throughout the Lenten season. These Wednesday nights, these Sunday mornings are going to be a great, great time for us. We're really excited. Next week, we'll be having a meal out there in the Minton Commons. And as Pastor John said, we'll be gathering for worship in Wilson Hall. And we'll have a short message there, a time of prayer a few songs, and then we're into our groups. It's going to be an outstanding Lenten season. We're glad you're a part of it. Before I begin the message tonight, I want to pause as a congregation, as a church family, and I want to call us to pray for a very specific matter. Some of you may have heard about this. Eden Christian Academy, which is just around the corner from us, um, there is a young man there, a senior in high school, who had a really unfortunate, terrible accident yesterday and broke his neck. And the next 24 hours are going to be very, very important in terms of his life moving forward. Whether he is paralyzed or not could be determined in this next window of hours. And so I think it's appropriate for us to pray for this young man, his family. I know you agree. His name is Nate Moore. And you can only imagine that I'm sure he's very afraid in this moment. I know his parents are in anguish. We're going to ask God to heal. If you were with us this past Sunday, we talked about healing and the power of God, the power of Jesus to bring healing to people. So we're going to pray for Nate Moore, and I'm going to ask you to join me in doing that, and then for you to take that and pray for him as you leave this place. And we're also going to pray for what's happening in the world, of course. We don't want to turn our eyes away from that either, what's happening in Ukraine right now. And we're going to pray that the, the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus, would reign in all these things. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we come before you in this season of Lent, seeking your face. So good for us to be together tonight to sing, to, to, to recite Scripture aloud, to pray, to be in fellowship with one another, to hear from your word. God, we praise you and we look to you. And we pray, Lord, that you would teach us and grow us in every way during this Lenten season. We also come before you, God, not only praising you, but, but bringing our supplications before you. And we want to pray specifically for this young man, Nate Moore, and his family in the aftermath of the 
terrible accident that took place yesterday. Lord, we ask that even at this hour, you would put your healing hand on Nate and that you'd restore, Lord, life to all his limbs. We ask, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would reverse whatever effects the injuries had. There would be no paralysis in him. Please, God, touch him physically. Let this be for your glory, God. We ask you to heal him. We know, Lord, you're able. We pray, Lord, if it is according to your will, that you would heal Nate. We pray, God, that not only that, but that you would be close to him and his family, his parents, sibling. I pray, Lord, that you would give them your peace. I pray that the hope of the gospel would reign over them. I pray that the love of the body of Christ would surround them. Oh, God, we call on you. We believe in you, and we pray, God, that you would bring healing to this young man. We give Nate to you. Lord, and then we consider the things happening in the world as we watch from a distance the, uh, the, the events that have taken place in the past week in Ukraine. And, and Lord, we are, we are calling on you for peace to prevail. We thank you for the peace that we've enjoyed in the past many years. We pray, God, for peace in the world. We pray for the people of Ukraine. We thank you, Lord, for their strength. We thank you, Lord, for their courage. We pray, Lord, for, for the Russian people who are, who are in peril because they're against this and they see themselves under leadership that's evil. We pray, Lord, that you would meet them in the midst of this. Lord, I remember that in this church, we have had an outreach to Ukraine through Pastor John and his leadership. We pray that the gospel that many years ago was preached there and has grown since that day would flourish in these times in the hearts of the people. God, bring peace in every way. Peace out of war. Peace in human hearts. Oh God, we pray that this would be for your glory. We trust you, Lord, with all these things, the events of the world, the events of our times, the events of our lives. And as we begin this Lenten journey, we look to you. We cry out to you. We worship you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today is the very first day of Lent. And I'm not sure which church tradition you've, you've come from. Some of you perhaps have come from church traditions where Lent was a big part of the, the annual experience leading up to Easter. If so, this is very familiar to you. If not, I want to give you just a quick introduction to the Lenten season, these 40 days leading up to Easter. And as we look at this, I would put it this way, Lent is a season that is meant to prepare us to experience Jesus in fresh ways. You know, it's interesting, the Lenten season begins in a time when the days are short. It's dark. In Pittsburgh especially, right? It's a dark time for us in many regards, literally dark. But as we progress through the Lenten season, what's going to happen? We're going to move to light. The days grow longer. This is how the Lenten season was planned. The creation speaks to it. They were moving from darkness to light. This is symbolic. We're moving towards the light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the hope of the Lenten season. And so we begin with this, this Ash Wednesday. We begin this season of Lent, which is, is about prayer and fasting and self-reflection. And we begin it 
on this Ash Wednesday. Now, Ash Wednesday, you've probably seen people, or maybe you've experienced yourself, ashes on the forehead. And maybe you've wondered, what does that mean? Why do people do that? Why do we call this Ash Wednesday? Well, it's, it's a sense of mourning. Putting ash on the forehead is a sense of mourning. And what are we mourning? We're mourning over sin. Pastor John led us in reading Psalm 51, a psalm of repentance. A psalm that, that cries out for mercy and light of a sinful life. This is the beginning of the season of Lent. Lent is a time when we self-examine, when we reflect on our lives. And we're bound to come to the conclusion that we're sinful, if we're really honest with ourselves. You know, the focus on Ash Wednesday is to be repentance and grace and forgiveness. And so here's what I would like to talk about tonight, repentance. Now, if you're a church person, that's a familiar word to you. You've heard people talk about repentance. You've heard calls to repent. If you're not someone who's familiar with the church, it's new to you. We're glad you're here. Good. And and there's an opportunity to understand, I think, repentance on this Ash Wednesday in a deeper way for all of us. What does it mean to repent? You know, Jesus says that repentance is the key to everything. That sounds important, doesn't it? Repentance is the key to everything. The way in which we process everything that comes to us, the key is repentance. You know, there's no action that takes more human greatness than repentance. Nor is there any human action that produces more human greatness than repentance. This is an important day. And there's something here for every one of us tonight. Every one of us tonight as we consider repentance. So let's get into this text again. It's so good to have the Reverend John Guest with us. You know, I'm still waiting to get a copy of the John Guest audio Bible where John reads the whole, all the Bible for us and we can just hit play and listen to his voice. Wouldn't you like to have that? I want the John Guest audio Bible. Get to work on that, would you please? <laughs> he says it's done. Okay, so I can, I can do that. You know, John, I just want to say it is good to have you with us. And you've been traveling and ministering in other places. John, I love you. And we love you. And we're really grateful for you. And how about that tan, huh? Wow. I mean, come on. Where do I get one of those? Back to the text. Okay, so we're in Luke chapter 13, as Pastor John has already read for us. Let me read again. I like to go deeper in this, okay? And so reflect on the text. Take your notes. Verse 1. Okay, the scripture says, Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. You think they were more guilty than the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. This is heavy, right? This is is intense. Let's break this down for you, okay? First of all, there's two human tragedies that Jesus is addressing here. The first, we actually know something from history about. Let me look at my notes here, okay? So at this time, Pilate, 
And this is the Pilate that you would be familiar with from the scriptures, whom Jesus Christ suffered under. That Pilate was, so not surprisingly, insensitive to the Jewish religious convictions. He didn't care about their religious convictions. He had no time for them. And the Roman government didn't get along with the Jewish people. There was a lot of tension there. That's putting it mildly. Well, here's what happened. Pilate appropriated funds from the temple treasury to build an aqueduct. I'm hoping that the officials in the city of Pittsburgh, in light of all the problem we have with bridges, don't get the same idea and come to take the money from Christchurch to build their bridges. I hope not. We don't want that to happen, right? That's what's happening here. Pilate's saying, we're going to take money from the Jews' temple for our, for our capital campaigns, for our, for our bridges, for the things that we need in our culture. Well, a large group of Jews gathered to protest this, of course. They were incensed that this was happening. And Pilate had soldiers in plain clothes who infiltrated the crowd. They were there with the mob. And violence broke out. And they used concealed weapons to murder, to kill unarmed innocent Jews. This is what was happening in these times. And then, to make matters worse, Pilate had, those, those, um, had, had murdered some of the worship Galileans, and he took their blood, and he mixed it with the blood of the sacrifices in the temple, the sheep, the pigeons, the doves. This is what he's done. This is what they're referring to. This was terrible news. In Jerusalem, the Jewish people were incredibly wounded by all this. And so they're asking Jesus questions. He mentions a second human tragedy that we don't know as much about. But evidently there was a tower that fell and some people were spared. Some were not. At least 18 were killed. And so these people, this group, this crowd comes to Jesus and they ask a question about these human tragedies. About where God is in the midst of all this. You ever have questions like that? Where is God in the midst of what's happening in our country? Where is God in the midst of what's happening in our world? That's what was on the mind of the people. It's like Jesus had the newspaper on. He knew what was going on. And so he used this to address a very significant question. You know, the question that the people had was this. Why did this happen to them? Why did this tragedy befall these innocent Jewish people? Why, why did the tower fall on some of these people, but not on all of them? Why did this happen? That was the question. Were the people who were killed worse sinners than those who were spared? That's the theological question they're asking. And, and it's like us. Why, why do people suffer? The people who suffer, are they worse sinners than other people? Is that why they're suffering? You know, good things that happen to us and bad things that happen to us instinctively cause us to compare ourselves with others. Why is this happening to me? What have I done? What, what's, what's, the, what's God saying to me through this? That's what's happening here. That's the kind of question that these people are bringing to Jesus. Why did this happen? But rather than deal with Pilate's sins, Jesus deals with the sins of the people who are questioning him. That's what's going on here. And here's what he's saying. Let's break this down for you, okay? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, number one, firstly, when bad things happen, the right response is to repent. Yeah, when a tower falls, when bad things happen in your life, 
The right response is to repent. So in other words, when you face sickness, when you face pain in your personal life, when your finances go south, when things are just off kilter, when it seems like there's darkness hanging over your head, you ever felt that way? He is saying the right thing to do whenever you feel that is to repent. But that's not all. That's all, because there's more of what he's saying here. He's also saying this. Look at Romans chapter 2. Let me flip with you here. Write this verse down. You might go back and look at this later on. He's also saying this. He's not only saying that you should, you should repent when things aren't going right, when bad things happen. But if you consider Romans 2, he's saying something more. Listen to Romans 2 verse 4. Do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, his forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? You see, it's not only when bad things happen that we are to call to repent and that we should repent, that that's a right response. It's also when we have good things that happen to us. There's a universality to repentance that Jesus is talking about here. Listen, kindness leads us to repentance. And so when the tower doesn't fall on you, when you're spared, when you're blessed, good things are also meant to lead you to repentance. So it's not just if you've had some bad things happen in your life. It's also if you've had good things you see, there is this continuous need for repentance in our life. This is what Jesus is communicating to the people. They're trying to wrap it in to human tragedy, that because someone did something wrong, maybe, that's why this has happened. Is that when we need to repent? And Jesus is saying, no. Look, the point is, you need to repent, period. It's a continuous state. It's a continuous response of your life. As we begin Ash Wednesday, this is the message of Ash Wednesday. Let's repent. Let's turn to God. You know, you've probably heard it said by other preachers, repentance means turning and going in a new direction. A whole new direction. This is the message of Jesus Christ, that we are called repentance. You know, Jesus shows us that repentance is a universal need. I'm so glad you're here tonight. I'm so glad that, that you're worshiping with us online tonight. And here's what I hope we all hear and we all take to heart. Repentance is a universal need. It's not only for those who are struggling, for those who have some kind of sense of guilt, who feel like things are going wrong in their life. No, it's also for those who, who don't have the towers falling on them, who see the kindness of God working out in their lives. The message of repentance on Ash Wednesday in this life is for all of us. All of us need to repent because we've fallen short of God's holy standard. You know, um, there's a quote by Martin Luther that says this, all of life is repentance. Think about that for a while. All of life is repentance. It speaks to the, the importance of repentance. It speaks to the centrality of repentance before a holy God in our lives. You know, on, on Ash Wednesday, we mentioned, you know, ashes are traditional. And yes, it does indicate mourning. But, but it also 
reminds us of this. Ashes are formed how? By, by burning. You have to burn something, right, in order to get ashes. Well, there's a burning in our lives. You know what that burning is? It's the result of sin. In your life and in my life, there's this burning. And the burning is a result of our sin. The call of Jesus here is clearly to repent. I'll I'll say this. Look at Mark chapter 1. Just one last time to flip. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus can't be more clear here. This is like his mission. His mission statement in one verse. Here's what Jesus says in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Rather, He says, the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. It's the message of Jesus. And so Ash Wednesday is a powerful day because it is the beginning of us being reconciled to God. It gives us this fresh opportunity to once again consider our dire need for God's grace and his mercy and his salvation. And so we consider the call to repent and believe the good news. There is nothing that will come to you. Hear me. There's nothing that will come to you. There's nothing that will come to me unless we repent. It's that big. It's that important. It's the message of Ash Wednesday. But there's more to the message of Ash Wednesday. Let me go take you back to Luke 13, our main text here, verse 5. You know, Jesus says this. He says, I tell you, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. Unless you repent, that's, that's real straight on. Unless you repent, you too will all perish, is what he says. Well, what is repentance? Is it a sense of guilt? Is that what it is? Is that the point of tonight? Is it self-loathing? Is that what, is that what repentance is? No, I would suggest this. Repentance is the conviction of two realities. Two realities. The first is this. I'm going to talk about each of these. The first is repentance begins with radical self-evaluation of our sin condition. That's the reality of repentance. It begins with this this self-reflection that we talked about. That's what the Lenten season is about. Repentance begins with a radical self-evaluation of our sin condition. Here's a translation. You can't repent unless you realize that you deserve to have a tower fall on you. Really? These people asking this question, they're missing the point. We all deserve the tower to fall on us because of our sinfulness. It's not that they Someone out there is a worse sinner. No, it's not that they are worse sinners. We all deserve to have the tower fall on us. The philosophical question that should be assumed is why there is so little suffering in the world. Not why there's so much. Why is there so little suffering in light of a holy God? You know, there's a a radical self-centeredness. And that's our sin problem. I see it myself. See it myself. There's a radical self-centeredness that is the root of our sin problem. The, the reality is this. And this sounds like doom and gloom, doesn't it? But we don't deserve a good life from God. We don't deserve that. We, we deserve to have the tower fall on us. And so, yeah, repentance, what is it? It begins with this 
radical. You hear radical in my language here? Radical self-evaluation of our sin condition. Don't put kid gloves on yourself. Don't lie to yourself. Don't deceive yourself. We are in desperate need. Now here's the good part, part two. It's not only that repentance begins with this radical self-evaluation of our sin condition, it's also this, the great truth that God is committed to saving you from saving me from what I deserve and what you deserve. This is the good news of repentance. Yeah, there's this radical, depressing, heavy self-evaluation, but there's this glorious, great news. And the great news is this, that God in his mercy is committed to saving you, saving us from what we deserve. It's incredible. I mean, you, you heard the story read, and there's this little parable. We're going to dig into it in a minute. This little parable about the fig tree. Well, the fig tree, if you remember, deserves to be cut down. Why? No figs. No figs. And so the fig tree deserves to be cut down, but the caretaker begs. The caretaker steps in. Now here's what this means. Let's break it down. The tree is us. We're the tree. And, and the fruit that's missing is love of God and repentance. This is what's missing. But there's a caretaker, and that caretaker is Jesus Christ. You know what Jesus says? Jesus steps in and he says, hey, no, no, I'll dig around it. I'll fertilize it. Leave it alone. Give it more time. This is the word of Jesus Christ. And so listen, the good news on Ash Wednesday, the good news throughout the Lenten season, the good news 365 days of the year in the midst of war, in the midst of heartache, in the midst of depression, in the midst of the battles you face, the good news is that God is committed to saving us from what we deserve. That's for you. That's for me. Hallelujah. You know, you might wonder, how, how do I know if I've repented? How do I know? Well, listen, I think it's really simple. I think it's like this. Number one, you can know for sure if you've repented that you understand that you are a wicked sinner. That you are bad to the bone in the worst possible way. A wicked sinner. And that you are deeply treasured and cherished and loved by God. When you put those two things side by side, it's not just guilt and shame. No, when you understand that you're a wicked sinner and also that you are more deeply and profoundly loved by God through Jesus Christ than you could ever ask, think, or imagine, boom, you've repented. That's what repentance looks like. It's both of those, not just one or the other. It's not just being angry at yourself. It's not being entitled from God that, you should, that he should do something for you. No, repentance looks like this. It's understanding that you are broken, and after a radical self-evaluation, that there's no health in you, that you're a miserable sinner, and also realizing and knowing in your heart that despite this, you are deeply loved and cherished by God. It's good news. It's great news. Let's finish this text off. Luke 13, verse 6. Then... Jesus told this parable. We referred to it already. And, and, and this is connected for a reason. 
Jesus calls him repent, and then he tells him this parable, and he says, a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the caretaker replied, leave it alone one more year. I'll dig around it, fertilize it. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. The caretaker has faith. He knows that there's a difference that's going to come. That there's hope. You know, give me another year. I love it. There's a warning in here. There's a sense of urgency about repentance. We should feel that tonight. We should feel a sense of urgency about repentance. Listen, don't put it off. Don't put it off. God knows. And he loves you and he cares for you. Don't put it off. The time is now. Don't wait another year. And there's a hope that's embedded in this. That no matter how many times you should have repented, no matter how late in life it may be, no matter how many wrongs you have done, you have committed, how much sin in your life, if you repent now, Jesus says, it'll all be fine. It'll all be fine. He wipes your balance clean. This is the hope of the gospel. I'll tell you this, Lent is the perfect time, the perfect time to recognize that you are a sinner and that you are deeply loved by repenting. Today is the day. Tonight is the night. You know, I, I simply want to close by doing this. You know, we have a prayer that we pray often here at Christ Church, uh, particularly in our 9 a.m. Ser- service, and it's a prayer of repentance. And, and this is a prayer that some of you know off by heart. It's a prayer that some of you have never prayed before. I want to invite us tonight, in light of this, this text, in light of the reality that we are sinners, and our radical self-evaluation reveals that our hearts are way darker than we ever thought. And also in light of the fact that we are profoundly and greatly loved by God through Jesus Christ, repenting is the wonderful step that we can take tonight before this God of love on this Ash Wednesday. I would ask you to consider these words. I'm going to lead us in the prayer. It's going to be on the screens. You can read along with me. You can say it out loud with me. And I want you to consider these words and make them your own. You know, really, it's a sinner's prayer. We talk about, you know, how how do you come to Jesus? How do you express your faith? By saying this prayer tonight, you can express your faith in Jesus Christ, repent of your sin, and know him as Lord and Savior, and have the hope of eternity, have the hope of the gospel. You could have that tonight by praying in your heart, believing in your heart, that Jesus Christ is the one, the Lord and Savior, who pays for our sins. Would you join me in this prayer? You'll have your eyes open. It's on the screens. We're going to take it slow. Follow my lead on this. Consider these words. And let's repent before God. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you by what we have done. And by what we have left undone. Pause. Consider that. 
God speak to us. God reveal to us those things that we have done that we're unaware of. God remind us and reveal to us even those things we have left undone. We confess, God, we've sinned against you. And now we resume. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. Pause there. Consider the lack of love at times in our life. Consider that we have failed to love God by our own actions. Oh God, we do repent. We heed the words of Jesus. Again, resuming, for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Let me speak this over you. In Jesus' name, you are forgiven. You're forgiven in Jesus' name, and you are called to live by the power of his Spirit, to live for him, to serve him, to bring glory to his name. May we, during this Lenten season, follow Jesus and journey together to know him moving from darkness to light, the light of Jesus Christ and the resurrection. Amen. Thank you so much.